1: It's how we live our lives that we teach our children, not the things that we say. The way that I think of it is me living a happy, fulfilled life where I take care of myself, that's what's gonna ensure that I have children that are able to do the same.
0: Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. Well, hello there, and welcome back. Today, I am so excited to introduce you guys to my guest, Dr. Christine Sterling. Dr. Sterling is a board-certified OBGYN who is here on the podcast today to talk about self-care for you when your baby is starting solids. Now, you might be like, oh, hold up, I'm skipping this episode. I'm here to learn about what to feed my baby. But hold up because I'm a firm believer in the idea that you can't take care of somebody else if you don't take care of yourself. So I am fully leaning in to Dr. Sterling's idea and notions of self-care. And she's going to be talking a little bit about some of the controversies surrounding self-care. People say, this is self-care, this is not. She's really known in this space as a doctor who really gets it when it comes to taking care of yourself because through her workbooks and her courses and her content Dr. Sterling is committed to supporting women not just during their pregnancies which I feel like a lot of us get tight with our OBGYNs when we're pregnant but she's there for moms after their pregnancies as they transition to and through motherhood. Dr. Sterling's going to be sharing some of her medical expertise. We're going to be talking a little bit about the hormonal changes that are occurring in our bodies that are around the time when babies start solid foods. You may not have thought about it, but this really can affect your outlook, your psyche, your mental health. Uh, We'll be chatting about things like the pressures and the anxieties that a lot of parents face, and let's be real, that a lot of moms face because they tend to be the primary food givers and meal preparers and baby feeders. And as you're transitioning into this new phase of your baby's life, how can this affect you and how can you take care of yourself so that you can be the best version of yourself and show up for your baby, because it's a lot of work, everything associated with feeding a baby. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy Dr. Sterling's down-to-earth approach Her expertise not only as a medical doctor, but then just her humanity as a person and a fellow mom. She's one of the most real people I know in the parenting space. So with no further ado, I want to introduce you to Dr. Christine Sterling. All right, Dr. Sterling, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. I'm really excited to get to interview you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Okay, so to begin with, could you just share with our audience a little bit about your background and how you became interested in women's health and how you came to be a doctor as well?
1: Oh my goodness, this is a long story, but long story short. So I'm Dr. Christine Sterling. I'm a board-certified OB-GYN. I basically became a physician because I come from a family of physicians, and I... Went into medical school thinking I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon like my grandfather. And one day, out of nowhere, just one of my mentors was an OBGYN. And I went up to her and I said, you know, I'm thinking about OBGYN. And I said it, but I was like, why am I saying that? I'm not, am I thinking about OBGYN? It was like my subconscious knew that I needed to be in an, an OBGYN. And she said, you know, that's great. Just know that you're always when you're an OBGYN, you're always you're Practice is always the subject of controversy. Like you're always in the middle of it because women's bodies are always, you know, it's always political. There's always debate over it. So that has definitely been my experience. But I just, I love taking care of women. I love, you know, even before I became a mom, I was really passionate about supporting people through their pregnancy and helping them grow into the new human that they're going to become, right? Because we're giving birth to a baby, but we're also giving birth to a mother. And then when I became a mom myself, it was like, oh, my gosh, it opened up a whole new universe of understanding what this experience really is like.
0: Tell us a little bit about your family, kids. Where are you at with that? Yeah, so I have a
1: three and a half year old daughter. Celeste. And I have a 10-month-old little boy named Oliver who was born just before the pandemic. He was like two weeks old when um, the pandemic hit. So he's quite the quarantine
0: baby. Oh my gosh. So I know you from Instagram and I will definitely share your Instagram. It's at Dr. Sterling OBGYN. And we'll link to that on the show notes for this episode, along with everything else Dr. Sterling's talking about. That's at blwpodcast.com forward slash 94. But I feel like it's weird because I feel like I know you, we're both in San Diego yeah. and the practice you used to be at actually it's where I had my first daughter. So I know of you. This is so cool to interview you, yeah. but I feel like yeah. I know you from Instagram and I feel like a lot of it is because did you take time off after you had Oliver? Like, did you take maternity leave or do doctors get maternity leave? I don't even know how that works. So I stopped practicing
1: about four months before he was born. Celeste, I got six weeks of disability. And then I took, I saved up all my vacation and I got six weeks of vacation. So I I scrambled together a three month maternity leave. And in terms of like doctors getting maternity leave, it depends on who is your employer. So some like some bigger employers, like, yes, like people have great maternity leave packages, Other people don't really get any maternity leave. So,
0: yeah. This is the point of the podcast where all the Canadian moms are like, oh my gosh. They get like... Seriously. We just had this veterinary mom. She's on. She's awesome. She was talking about if you have a dog and like how you incorporate the dogs into your family, but not in the feeding environment. And she was like on her 16th week of maternity leave. And I was like, do you still have your job when you go back? And she was like, of course we do. Like Americans. I'm a dual citizen. I'm actually also Canadian. Oh.
1: And trust me, I I have thought we have considered moving back to Canada.
0: Oh my gosh, for the next kid, for sure. They do maternity leave, right? Well, every other country does. So can you tell us a little bit about for like the, just the term self-care? Like I know personally, we were researching this episode and the gals on my team were like, oh my gosh, we have to interview her. She can talk about self-care. I'm like, I don't even know that I like hear that term thrown around a lot. Don't know exactly what it means. So could you explain more about the concept of self-care?
1: Yeah. So basically, you know, there's different levels of self-care is basically just taking care of yourself. And there's different levels of it. And that's, I think, where a lot of the controversy is right now. Um, if you're kind of plugged into the motherhood space on social media, you'll see people kind of arguing back and forth about what is considered self-care and what isn't considered self-care. And Truthfully, there's different levels. So like, you know, obviously brushing your teeth is taking care of yourself, but it depends on how the individual who's using the word self-care, like how they're defining it. So if it's something, if they're defining it as something above and beyond like basic hygiene needs, then we just have to make sure that we're using it the same way. So as an umbrella term, it just means anything you do, going to a doctor's appointment, right? You know, exercise, brushing your teeth, like there's all these different levels. So there's like our ordinary stuff we do to take care of ourselves. And then there's the stuff that we really need to deal with, you know, that goes above and beyond basic care to deal with the stress of life. We all have stress in life. And those are the activities that we can engage in that help us discharge stress, help help us get closer to ourselves. The truth is, is that, uh, you know, whenever people are kind of arguing over like, oh, is shower self-care, shower not self-care, and, and what, and always, you know, spending time on social media, is that self-care or not? I really don't think you can ever say definitively that a practice either is or isn't self-care for everyone. It really depends on the individual. And we are really the ones who determine what self-care, but what activities are self-care for us and what. I tend to refer them as anti-self-care habits or some people call them destructive habits. You know, scrolling Instagram can either be self-care or it could be anti-self-care. It just depends on how you're utilizing it in your life.
0: I love that concept too. Like, you can't tell me whether or not this is self-care for myself. Like, you don't exactly. really know yeah. me. And I'm also feeling very self-ashamed. Like I probably did not even brush my teeth today, but it's just something like if you run a business and you have a lot of kids and you have a relationship, it's something that you sometimes do just naturally put yourself last. Like I didn't mean to put myself last and not shower for three days, but it just kind of happened. So in my case, like maybe taking a shower would actually be self-care and totally, I appreciate you supporting me in that. I'm going to work on that. um. Yeah, totally. And you
1: working can also, you taking time to work, that can also be self-care too. Like work isn't
0: always... A bad thing, right? Sometimes my work life is way, way easier than my home life. Right. And I think a lot of parents <laughs> feel like that. Totally, totally. So and I know for the parents that are listening, this phase that they're moving into, right? Introducing solids to their baby can be stressful for parents and caregivers, especially if Definitely. they lack physical and mental health or haven't been prioritizing themselves. So any recommendations for a mom or a caregiver or parent who needs to find balance between feeding their infant, but then also taking care of themselves.
1: Okay, so there's a few things to talk about here. First and foremost, if we're talking about a parent who is breast or chest feeding and we're introducing solids, we have to acknowledge that this can sometimes mean a change in breast milk supply. Sometimes this happens, you know, kiddos start sleeping through the night too. And this may be a time where a cycle would resume. So sometimes when we're introducing solids, when we're changing how our baby gets their nutrition, that's going to impact us hormonally as well so realizing that this is not something totally external to us when we are introducing solids to our baby we and, and we're breastfeeding we still have a connection to our baby's nutrition in our own body and we have to take care of ourselves through that period we know we're starting to see that weaning not that you're going to actually be weaning when you start solids but you know just as a as an example we know that weaning may be a time where people are ex- can it, at risk for postpartum depression and anxiety. So it's just understanding that anytime our hormones shift, doesn't mean it's going to stay that way, but we can emotionally, it can be challenging for us. So sleep is really important. And just listening to yourself and acknowledging like, okay, this is a a period of time where I may be going through some transition. And always as our kids are, when we meet these milestones and our children are getting older, there's also a, there can be a little, like a sense of loss, you know, and grief that, oh my gosh, here we are already and my baby's eating solid food, you know?
0: This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. And I really appreciate that you pointed out the potential for postpartum anxiety further down the road. I feel like I know. When I had my first child, you you see all over the office you used to work at there was signs like after six weeks, if you still have the baby blues after six weeks, you need to talk to someone. I remember being like super hyper focused on like, okay, do I have postpartum depression like at the six week mark, but like yep, yep, six yep. months down the road, some of this stuff can hit you and we still need to be vigilant and listening to how we feel because there might be a gap where things were going great. And then all of a sudden this new phase kicks in and you mentioned the hormones returning or, or shifting yeah. associated with your cycle coming back. All of this stuff at play can definitely affect how we're feeling. And I think sometimes we just kind of tamp that down because like, oh, no, we got to focus on getting high iron foods into the baby and, you know, stuff that maybe sounds important, but isn't the best thing for us.
1: And you know, Katie, the interesting thing is, and I see this all the time, is people will send me a message on Instagram and they'll say, I'm feeling depressed. Is it possible to experience postpartum depression when when my baby's eight months? The fact that they're sending me this message is a symptom of the fact that we have taught people, particularly women, that they can't trust themselves. They need to get reassurance from someone who's in a position of, of authority that says, yes, this is a real thing. This could be happening to you. And my response is, is it happening to you? Are you depressed? Because if it is, then it's a thing, right? (laughs) Like, yeah, just, you know, postpartum depression, really there are technical definitions of, you know, truly there's no such thing as like postpartum depression. There's You know, unipolar major depression with a postpartum onset, that's like the DSM 5 diagnosis. So it's not a separate thing than depression. And getting the quantifier with postpartum onset, you know, currently is within those first six weeks or so. But anybody who takes care of postpartum people knows that it can happen at any point in the first year. And beyond, you know, if you start experiencing depression when you wean, at two years old, is that postpartum? Well, call it postpartum depression if you want to
0: you know what i mean you're technically postpartum
1: yeah i mean i don't worry so much about the name when you're not like doing research studies where these the words really have a definition and matter it's like if you feel like your depression is surrounding a postpartum experience such as weaning such as you know sleep deprivation from your child like your baby not sleeping through the night postpartum depression if that's what makes you feel better it doesn't actually we don't change the treatment based on whether it's postpartum or not, with the exception of really severe postpartum depression that occurs very, you know, closer to birth. There are some treatments that are specific to postpartum depression, the inpatient treatments that involve like an IV medication, but that's a very specific situation. Other than that treatment's the same.
0: Okay. So for a mom, like the one who DMs you on Instagram, my baby's eight months old. I'm feeling XYZ. I'm feeling like I'm depressed. What should they do? Should they talk? Do you talk to your OBGYN about that? Like, what if you don't have a counselor? Like, I don't know who to talk to. Yeah, totally. So it really, really depends. Now,
1: listen, OBGYNs are, it depends on their comfort level with treating depression in general. I will say that probably more OBGYNs are comfortable treating depression in a breastfeeding person than, say, a family doctor who doesn't take care of pregnant people at all. Yeah. but some obgyns don't have a lot of they don't treat depression outside of pregnancy and immediately postpartum and you'll call their office and they'll be like oh you're not postpartum go call your primary care doctor
0: at which point you like don't have one because yeah. you go to a pediatrician for your kids and then you don't normally I don't know, go back to the doctor until you get pregnant again I mean I know it's terrible but I wouldn't even know where to go super common
1: and you know what it's easier said than done but then that's timed most primary care doctors are pretty good at treating depression, like garden variety depression. Now, the thing is, is all physicians are not, you know, don't have the same interest level in different disorders. They don't necessarily have the same training. So there's, you can get one primary physician who is like, knows, you know, maybe they have even experienced depression themselves and they're really into managing depression. They're really good at it. And then you'll get another one who's like, oh, I prescribe this one medication. If that doesn't work, I immediately refer out to psychiatry. So really the ideal situation is if you don't have already have a provider who is willing and able to treat your depression, even if you're breastfeeding because you can treat depression and take medication while breastfeeding. You know, we, we may change the medication because of that, but don't let anybody tell you that you can't. That's just not true. But um, there are psychiatrists that are experts in reproductive psychiatry. And those are like, you know, they're not every part of the world and every part of the country is going to have, they tend to be in bigger cities. But man, if you can get plugged in with a reproductive psychiatrist, that's
0: phenomenal. And I think sometimes one of the benefits of primary care is they are kind of the conduit to getting you to the referral source that you need or might not otherwise know about. Same problem in feeding. A lot of pediatricians are completely, I mean, 90% of physicians in this country have never taken a dedicated nutrition class. And so when parents go to their pediatrician and ask specific questions about introducing, you know, food-based sources of iron versus fortified foods, and the pediatrician's like, uh... I don't know. But if there is a problem and they can refer you to a feeding therapist, that's an appropriate use of your pediatrician. And I, yeah. I always respect a credential professional says, you know what, I don't know the answer, but I know who can help you because not any one profession is equipped to deal with the wide variety of things that are affecting you as the mom and your baby as the child and then your toddlers and your teenagers. I mean, you know, pediatricians can't do it all. And I, I appreciate that you said that sometimes you do have to refer out.
1: Oh, totally. And, you know, some pediatricians, like if they if they have a bunch of young kids and, you know, they've taken your course or they're like really plugged in, they'll know all kinds of stuff. But then others are like, you would think that, oh, all pediatricians have this. Are know all of these things? That's just not the case. Like we human beings, we we oftentimes know more about situations that we deal with personally, disorders that you know we deal with personally. So, like as an ob I happen to know a ton about IBS because I have IBS. So I it's something that I've researched so much. So I get a patient who has IBS, I'm like, yeah, I can chat with you about that. But most OB/GYNs aren't, you know. So mm-hmm. it really depends on your provider and just ask them, you know, most of us are pretty self-aware. Like, are you comfortable treating depression in breastfeeding people? Are you comfortable treating depression at eight months? And if, if they say no, don't take it personally, just know, okay, you don't want to be treated by someone who's not super comfortable doing it because you're not going to get the best treatment. You
0: know, one of the things I love about your social media presence is I learned so much from you. I'm like, gosh, I didn't know that there was an OBGYN who would be open to talking about. Some of the issues that you do, like my doctor certainly wasn't, but that's, you know, there's different strokes for different folks. And I think totally. you might not be my direct doctor, but I can learn so much from you and your online presence. And I know you like to share certainly things about your family. And I'm just curious if you yeah. feel comfortable having had two children of your own now. Mm-hmm. Are there any struggles that you personally faced? around the time when you were starting solids that you can maybe speak to? Because our parents are oftentimes feeling a lot of anxiety. They're feeling a lot of uncertainty. It's like everybody else knows how to do this except me, or I just got this great bottle breast pumping situation down and now I have to go change it. Like what are some things that helped you kind of keep yourself together, I guess, when you're going through this as a mom, in addition to having your physician background?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, number one, The comparison, like the idea that other, like, oh, everybody else knows what's happening and I don't, is that is, it's not helpful to us, right? You know, we are all doing our best. And it's really important to realize that we all have different strengths as parents, so my husband is really into feeding our kids. He's into it. It's his thing. I like will forget like my <laughs> three and a half year old will be like, mommy, are we going to have lunch? And it's
0: like 3 p.m. Because I forget to feed myself often. So I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> I didn't feed stuff. See, I would call giving yourself lunch self-care, but I know not everybody does. So, oh, you know like the way that I eat is different than I think most people. I
1: tend to like only eat twice a day. That's just
0: like, it's your food culture. It's fine.
1: Yeah. That's just kind of always how I've been. So I'm not a super food oriented person. And actually my daughter isn't either other than treats. So my son will cry when he's hungry. So that's easy, but Celeste will just like not she won't complain and then i will forget. So the idea is i'm not like the greatest in terms of like feeding like my husband makes these like wonderful balanced meals and like is always concerned about their nutrition and that's not my strength. I am a really good mom in other ways and so i realize that the thing that i always go back to is that these children were given to me for a reason and it's because I have certain strengths that I believe that these little souls need and me just like taking care of me and being the best version of me is what they need. And, you know, I'm fortunate that I, I, you know, I also have a husband who's very involved. And so he can, where I, where I lack, he can pick up, you know? So what I would say is be the best version of you and realize that not You know, you don't have to be perfect on all of the things and you don't have to, it's not like we innately know the perfect way to feed our children. That's why accounts like yours and courses like yours are available to us. We aren't, you know, I'm an OBGYN. I have no expertise in how to feed a child. I need to follow accounts like yours to tell me exactly what to do because I want somebody who makes it really easy for me because you are into it, right? Like you studied this, this is your thing. I'm going to learn from you, not try to reinvent the wheel myself because I don't know what I'm doing. So I would just say, lean into your strengths and don't fault yourself for not being all the things. None of us can be. Who has enough time in the day? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Alright, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on Us. Mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: Upfront payment of forty-five dollars equivalent to fifteen dollars per month. Unlimited over forty gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active mint customers by five thirty-one twenty-four. Get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. I know I oftentimes think of that phrase just like compare and despair. Like people do it all the time. We've actually moved away from using month-based recommendations for babies, because if you didn't switch from purees to a different texture until your baby's eight months old, parents will message, well, how old is that baby in the video? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you because all babies come to their own ability to feed themselves at different ages. And I don't want you to feel like, well, that baby's younger than my baby. And look, they have their pincer grass, but my baby doesn't, or they're eating meat and we haven't done that yet. Or they've done these allergens. You know your baby best. You are the best mom or parent for your baby. Yeah. Your baby will learn how to eat on their own. We can provide guidelines Total. or guardrails. Like we don't want to see your two-year-old with a bottle because of these reasons. But yeah. Yeah. if yeah. you don't get your baby off the bottle at 12 months of age, is it the end of the world? No. So we try to you know, really, really back off of, of anything that would make parents feel like i guess pressured into comparing their babies to others and I, and parents love to learn about feeding milestones but a lot of it you're just feeding into this competitive nature which you know when we live in an era of well my baby walked at 5 months old well my baby can play the piano at 3 months old it's like and people say my baby started eating at 4 months guess what babies aren't safe to start solid foods at 4 months of age just because you can put it on a spoon and shove it in their mouth doesn't mean you should and i think we sometimes like get all wrapped up in like my baby's better than your baby, you know, and and social media doesn't help that at all. So, yeah. I really appreciate accounts like yours that like just really like everybody take a chill pill and like let's all look at what really matters. And I'm a firm believer. My husband laughs at me, but I'm a huge believer of you can't take care of other people unless you take care of yourself. And so, well, yeah. I'm like, really I am probably <laughs> going to work out before I, you know, do the laundry if I really prefer not to do either of those, but like the one that's going to help me means that I'll have the energy or the strength, et cetera, to then take care of my kids. And too often, I think as parents, we forget that and we start putting everyone else ahead of us. But you always remind us like you do need to take care of yourself as well, or you can't take care of other people.
1: Katie, it's as simple as what are we doing as parents? What is our goal? Our goal, I think most people would agree, is to teach our children how to do what? take care of themselves, right? Like that's the whole role of being a parent is to Mm -hmm. slowly over time, get these kids ready to live their life, right? So our whole job as parents is to teach them how to take care of themselves. And let's be real. We're not teaching them that because we're telling them what to do. Everything we do, it's how we live our lives that we teach our children, not the things that we say. So if we're teaching our children how to take care of themselves and not taking care of ourselves, we are teaching them. We're just telling them, you will earn time to take care of yourself when you are productive and you accomplished these tasks. And we get into this whole toxic Belief that we don't inherently deserve rest, relaxation, joy, and fun. You know, we slowly over time tell our kids, well, you know, do your kids see you having fun even when the to do list isn't done? Like, do they see that with, on a regular basis? Hopefully they do, because you want them to be able to enjoy their lives even when the sink is full of dishes and even when things are imperfect. So the way that I think of it is me living a happy, fulfilled life where I take care of myself and I don't feel like I'm always drowning. That's what's going to ensure that I have children that are able to do the same.
0: Oh, that's so powerful. Do your kids... See you having fun even when the to do list is not done. And the reality is, the to do list is never done. It's never done. If the answer is no, then you're never, ever going to have fun. And especially hard, like I have tears in my eyes just listening to you say this because during a pandemic, like I feel like all the things I used to really rely on as an outlet are gone. Like adult night, date night, five freaking seconds away from my kids, like it's all gone. So if those were the things that you used to thrive on, it's sometimes we do have to shift. You still have to find time for yourself, even in, you know, a lot of people living in small quarters with the same people over and over. And every day, three meals these kids have to eat. Like, it doesn't go away, and it can be very overwhelming. So... Your message like, okay, what is the the role as parents? Mine is like, sometimes it's just to get to bedtime. Yeah. But I mean, it should be, yes, to teach them how to do things on their own. But like, could it please just be bedtime? The day-to-day is different, right? Yeah. That's like the overarching, like, what is our goal here? Our
1: goal here is to get them to be able to take care of themselves. Like, you know, we're not raising them to take care of, you know, us, which would, you know we're raising them to take care of themselves. And if they want to circle back around and take care of us when we're older, that's cool too. But really our job is to be like, you eventually got to fly out of this nest. So, And there's
0: so many parallels with feeding. Our job is to teach them how to feed themselves. One like hundred. We expect yeah. babies to be, we need to be responsive feeders when we're bottle feeding or breastfeeding. And then we expect toddlers to be able to feed themselves. But this whole six to 18 month period with traditional spoon feeding, we just take all of that autonomy away from them and think, okay, well, we're the ones that need to be feeding them. But with baby led weaning, we see that it's the opportunity to allow babies to do what they're inherently capable of doing and want to do, which is to feed themselves. But ultimately we're just there to help guide them down that path. And so I always try to remind parents, it's not your job to make your baby eat, right? Your job is to do all of the other things about setting up your baby for eventual success, but they don't wake up on their six-month birthday knowing how to feed themselves. That's the whole point of the weaning period. It's this practice period. And I think when parents kind of get that message, they realize, oh, this actually can be fun if I realize most of their nutrition is still coming from breast milk or formula. They're learning how to eat. I don't need to count calories or milligrams of iron or ounces or grams. If you give your baby the opportunity to practice, they get it eventually. No one goes to kindergarten and not know how to feed themselves.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's really like, I don't know. It's like, let's take up the stress. There is enough stress in life, right? So comparing ourselves and our children to others, typically what you'll see when people do that, I think it's a really good question to ask yourself if you find yourself comparing or worrying or stressing or maybe. Potentially being over focused on one area of your child's life, you may ask yourself, like, what am I really hungry for when I'm doing this? And being gentle with yourself, because oftentimes we are really obsessing over our child's milestones because we're not feeling a sense of fulfillment from what we're doing, right? We're looking to our kids to kind of fill that. I love that. And so that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you, that you're looking, that's a beautiful thing. I'm looking to feel more fulfilled. I'm feeling a little empty. I want to feel more fulfilled. I want to feel a sense of accomplishment. And maybe what's going on in my life right now, I'm not feeling that. And so I'm kind of looking to my kid to feel that, fulfill that sense of accomplishment. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. All of us want to feel a sense of accomplishment and a sense of fulfillment. So that's coming from a really beautiful and vulnerable place. But when we look to our children to fulfill that it doesn't work and it ends up making things worse. So we can ask ourselves, all right, what is something I can do that actually makes me feel fulfilled? You know, and it doesn't have to be some, you know, winning a freaking you know, gold medal. It can be like, you know, I actually really, I used to really like to draw and I don't do that anymore. And I really like that drawing and completing a picture. And like, that feels really good to me. Like that's when when self-care should move you closer to yourself it should help you feel more at peace in your life and it should bring you some joy amidst the imperfect journey cuz parenting life will always be imperfect and it seems like so many of us have just convinced ourselves that like life is going to someday look perfect like it does on other people's instagrams accounts And that's when we'll be happy. And wow, we're never going to get there, right?
0: Wow. That's, I mean, you just summed it all up. It's like, you shouldn't feel guilty about feeling good. And I think so many parents do. Like, I would love to take piano lessons, but then that would be another half an hour that I'm not with my kids on top of working. And when would I practice? It's like, but if you don't do anything for yourself and you only live for your kids, exactly what you said was true. We can't look to our children to fulfill especially the adult needs, like I find so much of parenting so incredibly tedious, like the minutiae, I don't enjoy it. And I felt like that when I went to feed my babies, Like I was like, this should be more fun. I used to like food. And that's kind of part of the whole why behind the 100 First Foods movement is to make it fun, to make it easy, to make small wins every day when you try one new food that these accumulate over time. And next thing you know, your baby's an independent eater. They've tried a wide variety of foods. You actually enjoy mealtimes with them versus dreading it, which so many parents do. And I think once you're okay with saying that, like, I dread X, Y, or Z. You're like, yeah, it's not the end of the world to say those things out loud sometimes.
1: Katie, and as to your example about playing the piano, just think about what a beautiful lesson and message that would send to a child. Here's my mom. She is, I don't know, she's 37 years old.
0: I wish. Thank you. I know. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. Kidding, kidding. You know,
1: whatever age she is, she's 28, 45, whatever she is. And here she is learning an instrument for the first time. You know, you could tell your child 150 times, it's never too late to learn, or you will always continue growing. You can tell them these things so many times, but what is far more powerful is living that. So, taking piano lessons, doing something for yourself, you know, that means something. That's a lesson there. And it means so much more than just telling them something.
0: Oh my gosh, Dr. Sterling, I'm so inspired. Thank you so much. I literally have tears in my eyes because I went to bed every night listening to my mom play the piano. Beautiful. She had six freaking kids too. And I'm like, she was also pretty bad, but I like love that she tried. I'm like, I'm not there yet. Like, how did she do that? You know, you think, Again, comparing yourself to other people, but it starts with the first step, which is just to do something for yourself. So thank you so much for sharing these words of inspiration for us. Could you let us know, where can we find out more about your work, your content? I mean, you in general are so inspiring. Like, I need more Dr. Sterling in my life.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram. I'm Dr. Sterling OBGYN. And yeah, I talk a lot about self-care, a lot about taking care of ourselves, motherhood from preconception, through pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here. This was so amazing to speak with you. Oh, no problem. It was an honor to be here with you. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Dr. Christine Sterling. She is, for real, hands down, one of my favorite people in the parenting space, especially in the online social media space. She gets it. She's so down to earth. I really appreciated her message about needing to take time out for ourselves. You really can't take care of other people if you don't take care of yourself. And we shouldn't feel guilty. For wanting to do what's right for ourselves and engage in whatever it is that we consider self-care. Maybe that's taking a shower. Maybe it's in Dr. Sterling's case, taking a break and actually eating lunch. Regardless, if you guys are not already following her on Instagram, check her out at Dr. Sterling OBGYN. I'm going to go ahead and link to some more of her content and resources on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 94. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time.